You're listening to the That's My Financial Guy podcast, where we talk about life, love, the funny, and of course, money. What could go wrong? Welcome to another episode of the That's My Financial Guy podcast. I'm your host, Brian Haney of The Haney Company, and I am pretty pumped about my guest today, who's a longtime friend, Mr. David Frost. How are you today? Good, Brian. How are you doing today? I am excellent. And uh, the weather has finally turned nice as well, even though, you know, we're indoors recording a podcast. So not uh, another thing to cheer about, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. But we're getting used to it, right? We're getting used to everything. New normal. That's exactly right. All right. Let's, uh, let's have a little bit of fun. We want to get to know you. Um, so these are usually the hardest questions I ask anybody. I, you know, it's kind of like feeling grilled, but I know you. I know you pretty well. I think you'll be able to make through, get through it. Um, if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you live? I love the Caribbean. I absolutely love it. I grew up in Ireland, as you know, Brian, and uh, it rains a lot. So my dream growing up would be to live in the Caribbean on a boat and uh, hang out for one whole year with my uh, my kids and my family. That would be awesome. I love it. Yeah, that's, uh, I could, yeah, I could join you for that, for at least a portion of it. The non-hurricane part. It does rain in the Caribbean, I hear, but. It does rain just in the afternoons, though, but it is beautifully warm and temperate. I love that temperature. Yeah, yeah, and not, you know, the golfing isn't, isn't bad either. <laughs> no, All right, what, what food will you not eat under any circumstance? So I suppose I would probably have to say be rhubarb. Um, when I was a kid, I had rhubarb pie, and, and that made me sick. So ever since, I stay away from rhubarb. I don't even know if I am allergic to it or not, but I would not eat rhubarb under any circumstance. Interesting. Yeah. There are, I know when I get answers to this question, it's not uncommon to have had one of those, like, this thing made me sick at one point in my life. So, it's, but in, rhubarb never come up. So that's interesting. I love it. It's a new one. Yep. Yep. Grows awesome. in the yards in Ireland. So that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. Would you rather go to space or to the bottom of the ocean? Uh, probably the bottom of the ocean. I find when I'm doing snorkeling or diving or anything like that, I love watching fish and things go by. So. I would say bottom of the Caribbean Ocean would be fabulous. There we go. Uh, so that's yeah. it. Yep. Slam well, it's, it's beautiful too. You know, you can, you know, when you get down there, the water is so much clearer than it is up on the Atlantic coast. Actually Absolutely. Can... <laughs> yeah. See right to the bottom. Pretty neat. Awesome. Love it. So besides this one, uh, would you recommend any other podcast that you like to our audience? You know, I'm not a big podcast listener, um, but what I do listen to is my daughter, who is nine years old. She's my youngest, and she has me on different podcasts with different authors. So I would say probably at the end of the day, at night, listening to my kids' podcasts and certain books is probably my favorite thing to do. So when you, you know, mix that with a bit of music, and uh, book podcasts is probably what I like to do. Kids book podcasts with my daughter. 
So there you go. That is different. It definitely is. But it, it really, those things are great. You know, Harry Potter and a podcast is fabulous. Can't beat it. No, I lo- uh, that's awesome. And I, uh, you know, I have, I actually have a, a friend in, in the association space who is a voice actor, or, or I guess does voice talent, has read books and stuff like that. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool to, you know, you can essentially have any kind of work you want to listen to now. I mean, it's such a, such a widely available medium. So I love it. I think it's going to become even more popular with uh, electronic mediums, whether by Zoom, podcast, or other mediums, I think uh, people are going to be learning a lot more over a podcast than they've ever before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have awesome. three kids in uh, right now and learning over Zoom. So that's the, the new way to learn. And they're doing really well at it. So it's interesting times. It sure is. It sure is. And our family knows a little bit about that as well. So <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun experience i think especially when you just realize that you know uh, technology as a tool opens up so many possibilities i think one of the cool things that early in the uh the pandemic you, that um you saw were you know there were tons of virtual uh museum tours so mm-hmm. you know, say you wanted to go to the med or to the louvre or whatever a lot of these you know amazing places and all of a sudden you can go online and you know, check it out. And while obviously, you know, being there in person is, is, is a considerable experience, it's still pretty awesome to get a chance to kind of navigate things like that. And again, you know, how much can that enhance your learning experience when maybe you're reading a book about this and then all of a sudden you go and you get to kind of see it virtually. It's, it's pretty cool. It's yeah. very, very cool. Yeah, it definitely is. No commute time, no That's drive right. time. Yeah, you can do it from your home and educate yourself. It's fabulous. Don't have to wear a suit or a tie. (laughs) Well, let's, all right, let's talk shop now. And uh, do me a favor, tell tell my audience about yourself, what you do professionally and what your expertise is. So um, I have been working with uh, not-for-profit and for-profit organizations for about almost 20 years and helping them educate their participants of a retirement plan, whether it be 403B or 401K, uh, really on how to retire comfortably so that they will be able to get to a point in their lives where they say one day, okay, that's it, I'm done, I want out, how am I going to be able to survive, pay my bills, pay my health uh, bills, pay my school bills if you're paying for kids that just get out of college, and I'm going to be able to have enough money left over to retire. That's what I do. And we've been doing that successfully for, as I said, for almost 20 years. Um, Now, we do that through different types of mediums, online tools, but one-on-one face Uh, even tools now like Zoom. But what we're trying to do is help participants and employees to contribute into retirement plans so that they can have a very comfortable life going forward. That's That's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. For quite some time. uh, We're very proud of uh, really what we've accomplished over the years by educating and helping participants 
Um, you know, it, it makes us really happy when people say, well, one day I'm going to retire and they actually do. And that's really why, you know, we're here today and, and why people in our industry are here for people to be able to retire comfortably. Well, you know, and that's, I think that that is um, such a powerful value proposition because it's not, it's focused on the end user and really that desire, you know, it, it frames what a retirement plan actually is. It's, it's probably the most significant vehicle, financial instrument, if you will, that the majority of working Americans have to, you know, target and create and substantiate the retirement that they hope to have, right? Want to have. And so uh, it, I'd love hearing you share that and, and that be a passion point. And I know that your firm is, is well positioned in this marketplace. Um, what are some of the cool things in the last, who knows, several years uh, that, that have been going on that uh, stand out to you the most about some of the developments? I mean, you were mentioning even things like in the education, the technology space. What are some things that you're the most excited about that maybe, um, yeah. The average person that's dealing with a 401k or a retirement plan might not be aware of. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, Brian, normally we focus um, and traditionally in retirement plans of going in and doing a meeting with the suit and tie. We're the financial guy that stands up and talks about beta coefficients, standard deviation models, <laughs> and everyone looks us in the face and goes, oh my gosh, that guy is just a big put off, right? I don't relate <laughs> to standard deviation models whatsoever. So what we've been trying to focus on is more financial wellness. So just like a lot of your listeners, if they're running an organization, they have health wellness campaigns. Um, but now what we're looking at is saying, well, you may save a million dollars for retirement, but your debt paying off during retirement is substantial enough that you can't actually retire. So we're now looking and saying, well, let's pay off your debt first. Let's look at things, whether online through technology, um, our auto, auto loan, in other words, helping plan sponsors to deduct from payroll to pay and maybe existing college loans, our credit card loans, pay that off first before you even start contributing to a retirement plan. So what we're looking at is to try and once again, comfortably retire people. And if you retire too early with not enough money, that's not comfortable, no matter what you want to do. So debt payoff is very, very big these days. And we've been helping a lot of participants do that through technology, as I said. And there's some really cool tools available now from organizations like Vault and a couple of others that do uh, the payroll deduction for uh, loan tuition payoff. But I, I think what's even nicer is if you work for a not-for-profit organization for a certain number of years as an educator, um, our other organizations, qualified organizations, you can actually get a lot of that college debt um, pretty much wiped off clean slate after a couple of years of working for a school. And in DC or in Montgomery County or in Baltimore, et cetera, you can actually do that and come out with zero debt on your college bills. And that's pretty cool. So I think what we're trying to do is focus on expense management, debt payoff, and couple that with contributing to a retirement. Because you can't, you mentioned it there before, 
this could be the only retirement savings for a lot of people. And even in today's environment where people have no emergency funds, and let's be honest, there's a lot of people, we've got a huge amount of population right now that have no income coming in. And if we'd set up emergency funds for those individuals, this would be the time to use it. So really things that are outside the norm of what we standard deviation models and beta coefficients, that's what we're looking at. So I hope that answers your question, Brian. No, and that's, you know, I think you're really touching on something that it certainly strikes a nerve with me. I know um, that we're kindred spirits in the way that we try to approach this because, you know, you understand that retirement and, and saving for it is one of a myriad of interconnected puzzle pieces that make up your financial picture, so to speak. And I think that there's been, um, you know, historically an underrepresented uh, kind of, uh, you know, notion that, you know, all of these things kind of have to work together. I think it's been a lot easier, like you described, to zero in or focus on certain parts of it or asset allocation or things that, you know, have merit and have certainly have their place in this conversation. But really, you know, the, the most significant way to try to approach this along with anything that you're trying to do, right, is to zoom out and have a bigger picture understanding of, you know, how do you triage what are ultimately these competing interests that people have, you know? If, if the only thing somebody had to do financially was save for retirement and they didn't have anything else, that'd be fine, you know? It'd, it'd probably be a lot easier. But, you know, that's it's never just one thing, right? We're saving for a lot of things. We're saving for you know, kids, we're saving for vacations, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're paying, you know, so how do you kind of bring all those together? And I like what you mentioned as well, that concept of, you know, cash flow and budget management and how, how important that is, you know, um, and, and looking at debt and its impact. And, and yeah. so holistic approach, I think, is so key. Yeah, Brian, I, I mean, I have three kids, two kids in high school and one in, um, elementary and none of them were educated on how to manage a budget or save money. So I'm still waiting for that class, but I think it's gonna to have to be the dad class at this point because there are really no one, you can go to college and not know how to budget a, home, a household. And that's where we come in and we help people uh, collectively uh, with your organization and our organization. No, you're, you're right. Um, and I think that that's a good, you know, that's a good segue uh, you know, we see a lot of retirement plans in operation, but what are some of the gaps or deficiencies that you find? And, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, obviously some of the granular things from a cost management or, you know, a, a you know, funds lineup perspective. What are some of the other things maybe that are under the radar that you think organizations now really can focus on? For, for opportunity to improve the overall experience? Yeah, with regards to the retirement plans, traditionally in the, I'd say it's gone by decade. So in the late 90s, 2000s, maybe, sorry, the 2010s, um, you really see a lot of plan sponsors focusing on funds, fiduciary obligations, and fees. And most plan sponsors, when you get into a committee or boardroom, there's one thing you can really focus on, and that is fund fees, right? Because it's right there, it's on a spreadsheet, and that's what we're going to look at. 
But for a lot of decision makers who are, what I like to say, accidental fiduciaries, they didn't want to be in that meeting, but they were forced <laughs> in that meeting. And then they, because they make a decision, they become fiduciaries, focus 100% on fees. And fees are very important, as you know, Brian, extremely important, especially growth models over a number of years. You know, an extra 1% can make you a lot of money over those years. But the other thing to consider is, what's 1% of zero? It's zero. So what we've been trying to do is helping plan sponsors to auto-enroll participants. So focus on fees, but then let's focus on auto features. So if we look at auto-enroll, auto-escalate, which means that employees are automatically enrolled when they're hired on um, to the organization. And then every year, their contribution rate would increase a certain percentage up to an allowable limit. So you'd have employees that are forced to actually enroll. Now, that may sound terrible. You're forcing me to actually enroll in a retirement plan. I don't want to put my money in, and that's okay. You can opt out whenever you want of the auto enroll. And the auto escalate, you don't have to have it. But for a lot of employees, and especially these days, a lot of employees are looking for someone to help them to save. So I would say a below the radar feature that is extremely important, I think, is auto enroll and auto escalate. Then we look at auto investment features like target date funds. I'm not gonna get deep into it, but that is where 90, I wouldn't say 90, 70% of all future contributions are going into target date funds. So your selection criteria, how you select those investments is extremely important. More important, I would say, than even the fund, the regular fund selection, because only 30% of your employees are going to be invested in that, 70% are in the target date. So then we look at, okay, we have those two features because auto enroll means everyone's in the plan because 1% of zero is zero. So even if you got an expensive fund, if no one's contributing, it doesn't matter about fees. So you have to help employees to get in the plan. So those two are, let's say, the most important things that I see plan sponsors looking at now. How do I get employees in the plan? And how do I manage the investment selection they are in so that it's, it's comparable in expense, but also in returns? And, and that's why people hire you, Brian, and other investment managers and really consultants to make sure that they're doing the right thing with regards to their fiduciary obligations. Well, and you know, I'm so glad you brought both of those things up because um, again, I think it, it, you know, it goes back to that original high level conversation of this is really, you know, our audience in delivering a retirement plan isn't the organization itself. It's the employees, it's the participants. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the best design considerations need to have that end user right at, at, at the front of whatever we're looking at. And I think, I mean, I'm so glad you went through those, you know, those three areas, because that's, that's where uh, an unfortunate amount of our time, certainly, you know, in the, in the uh, advising space and the retirement plan consulting space gets spent is looking at fees and portfolio, you know, options and menus and all that. And that's, again, not to denigrate any of that because that's extremely important, but you're right. It, it does 
tend to overshadow this participant experience, which I also think is harder to quantify at times. And, and you know, you mentioned a really, really important metrics, which is, you know, what is your participation ratio? How many people are participating? How, and, and also looking at the actual deferral percentages as well, because, you know, regardless of how, of, you know, plan design considerations, you know, are your employees saving at rates that are going to be commensurate with something that's going to actually help them achieve retirement success or not? Because sometimes you might have, because you have auto enrollment, um, healthy participation percentage, but then you look at the overall body and you see that, well, really the average person's only putting away 3% and it doesn't matter how much or how little you make, 3% not going to get you there. Yep. You know, I think that that's, you know, those are, those are, really key elements of that bigger conversation of, all right, well, let's, what's it really like? Is this, is this benefit doing what it's supposed to do? Am I helping my employees retire? Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. It's, it's so true. And, and not only that, and you go to the CFO or CEO and said, auto enroll every participant, but we've a match. That means our expenditure is going to go up with regards to the match. But there's a correlation with regards to um, really participants saving in a retirement plan and their health. So what we find is a lot of employees will go online over the weekend, or go to the mall when they ever open again, and will spend too much money over the weekend. And then they have accumulated a greater amount of debt over the weekend. So they have a, a stress associated with that on a Monday morning. So there's a lot of financial, um, I would say, stress to a participant for overspending that we need to account for. And then if they know that they have retirement savings out there that with autumn rule, that believe it or not, there is a correlation to show that absenteeism will go down if a participant knows that they have the company that they work for has their financial being and, and forefront in the top of their mind. So really it's important to look at not only the expenditure on increased matching contribution, but also look at the financial well-being of that individual and absenteeism rates. No, I, I'm so glad you, you opened that door because um, behavioral economics is a, is a fascination of mine, right? Why, you know, understanding how, anyone makes decisions and what are all the the emotional and psychological components that go towards whether it's anything financial or frankly anything in general and that's and that's really important because you know i think that you're i, I think and obviously you work for for a market leading firm in in some of this area where you know the the intentionality of really recognizing that yeah stress uh mental health has a significant impact on just about anything in life, especially employment. And, and, and you know, statistics tell us that one of the, the number one stressors people have is money, is their financial health. Absolutely. And so, you know, if there are ways that an employer, through the benefits that they're providing, particularly in the retirement plan space, can reduce that stress to a certain extent, that has probably a larger impact than I think one might realize because 
you know, while you might not be able to deal with all the other stressors, it's great to, to try to tackle and reduce probably one of the largest ones. You know, and I, I, it was interesting in looking at some of the recent benefit studies that were pointing to how, for example, the gig economy was starting to have an influence on it. Well, the gig economy is really all about this addressing that stress, right? And work-life balance, and I'm not saving enough, so I got to get my side hustle on and all this. But so much of that all connects back to what you were just describing, right? That, you know, I'm spending too much and I'm not really thinking about it. And I, and I realize I'm not saving enough, so I need to figure out different ways to tackle that rather than, you know, just have certain things that happen through my natural employment relationship work to my advantage to help me with that. Yep. Good point. No, it's, it's, you know, it gets me very excited. Obviously I know we both are, uh, are certainly engaged on this. What are some common opportunities? So we talked about, and I know it's kind of two sides of the same coin. What are some common opportunities do you think, um, you know, employers can take now, especially given our, our, you know, environment and, and finding, ways to better connect with employees through a digital and a remote setting. What are opportunities that might be available, um, not just as a result of this pandemic, but moving forward for, for employers to really dial into some really good things and improve this overall experience for themselves? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And we're all looking at what's going on within our industry for plan sponsors and for t participants uh, post COVID, right? So we hope we're out of um, coronavirus here in a couple of weeks and then we hope it never comes back. But <laughs> let's just say um, if you are an organization and you really got your things together, you've got to prepare for the worst, right? So just like a, uh, an employer in the new world will have to prepare for the worst, we all need to look at ways to make things easier for both the participant and the plan sponsor to be able to work with the retirement plan and for all benefits actually for that matter. So what we're looking at is on an organizational front is supplying plan sponsors and participants with better technology, with um, easier access to advice, uh, with easier access to our people to help them on a remote level. So we'll still do face-to-face -face meetings and helping participants if that's what plan sponsors want. But it work from home is, I think, a new norm that is gonna be very, very important to a lot of plan sponsors uh, over the next couple of years. So for a plan sponsor, what we wanna do is help the plan sponsor manage the plan so administration is not a burden anymore. So outsource everything. So electronic mediums to do everything with regards to the plan, even payroll. So 360 integration with regards to payroll, don't have to touch payroll, don't have to touch hardship withdrawals, loans, distributions, all that stuff that you really don't want to have to do, it's called 316 fiduciary duties, get rid of it. And then we look at participants, no forms for them, no looking at and signing forms to say, is this right, going back and forth, really making it extremely easy for them to interact with regards to the plan. So I think the work from home is gonna be number one as a backup strategy for every plan sponsor and provider. 
but then also helping them along with it with their advisor to select investments that will keep the emotion out of selecting investments. So it's really difficult. And I've been to two, three recessions. It's really difficult to see the market go to 19,000 from 29,000 in the Dow and hold steady and don't go to cash, right? How difficult is that? So when we look at the advisor, they're the ones that are the external third party to help participants navigate the financial markets. So when our organization teams up with advisors, we do it for a very specific reason. And that's to take the emotion out of investing so that one day they'll look back at Dow 50,000 and go, well, I'm so glad I didn't bail on the market when it was down uh, so much. So that, those are the two things I think that are very, very important going forward is elimination of all plan sponsored duties as well as participant duties, and then also partnering with um, advisors and consultants to navigate a lot of the duties that a plan sponsor typically would do. I, I love what you described too. I mean, just we're in a digital era, right? And so, um, you know, it, 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 it's a twofold dynamic of not just getting the data done, whether it's, you know, via paper, now it can be a lot easier to capture it electronically. Plus there's a lot of CYAs for that because it's a lot easier to track. Yep. Did I provide you X, Y, and Z? And did you respond? Did you open it? Did you click? Did you do all that kind of stuff? I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why using the technology actually is a better thing, not just to get action and response, but also to protect yourself um, and to certainly make, you know, free up your headspace to focus on running your organization effectively and not deal with certain things that, you know, technology should allow you to, to not have to be as engaged in as, as possible and, you know, be at a high level, cognizant of making sure that, you know, the plan is operating the way it should. But, you know, outside of that, so much of this, some of the day-to-day -day minutia can really be optimized and I also love how you, you know, you're, you're talking about, and I think that this is probably where, you know, my hope, and, and I know you and I share this, that there can be a real resurgence. I mean, we were talking about even before we started this, this episode about how, you know, education now can be delivered and it's, and it's available, customizable, and, and really on a, on a personalized basis. And there's so many resources. And I think that that's one of my passion points and, we talk about that a lot. Now, how can you deliver and do more taking all the stuff off the shelf that, you know, One America and everybody has to, to say, well, look at all these great resources that I can now plug in for my employees to make sure that they can be availed, uh, you know, of all of these great learning opportunities um, so that they're empowered and equipped and all that. I think that that's really something that hopefully we see a lot of organizations start to embrace and create a schedule of learning, you know, not just a schedule of work, but a schedule of learning to help you, you know, grow, progress personally and financially and professionally. Yeah. And I think Brian, one, um, one note footnote I'm going to put in there with technology updates and that all plan sponsors and even participants should be looking at is cybersecurity. Um, we have seen um, a huge uptick over the last number of years and people trying to um, 
go through firewalls, not just with us, but with all providers and retirement services. So now our largest spend as an organization um, is going to be, and already has, and will be going forward on cybersecurity. We feel that we cannot have any breaches with regards to our cybersecurity at all. And as we live in the Washington, D.C. area with a lot of GovCon, um, that is their number one strategy. And they don't want a team with organizations that don't have good cybersecurity strategies. So very, very important. Good footnote. Just check it, put it, up, put it out there. No, I, I'm so glad you said that. I mean, as as a as a organization, our our company does so much cyber insurance risk and uh, talking about risk management. And yeah, I mean, and and it's hard to even underscore how significant that is, especially given the fact that essentially the entire country has gone digital and mobile yep. because of you know COVID nineteen. So you just take what you just described on a normal work dynamic and amplify that and yeah i mean it's yeah. and again you know I, I i i like to say this in other circles right do we think technology is a fad this isn't getting rolled back we're not going back to rotary no. phones anytime soon so <laughs> you know that i i completely agree that um it's certainly something that I, 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 you know, we encourage a lot of organizations, a lot of retirement plan sponsors to just be aware of that, you know, do everything that you can to optimize this experience for the employees, but also protect yourself, protect your data, protect your information, be organizationally sound because cyber is the, you know, that's the new criminal enterprise that is, is only going to grow. Um, yep. That's a great, great point. Um, you know, Let's let's talk specifically uh, on 403Bs because that's a, a lot of time that I know you spend, um, and and there's probably uh, you know a healthy number of things that we could cover. But just you know, for somebody that still has a 403B, because I know you know the, for, certainly the 401k part of the market is kind of probably dominates and overshadows the 403B part somebody that's operating a 403b are there any things that you you know would want somebody to be aware of that you think either previously currently moving forward that are you know just tips and tricks topics of conversation what would what would you say to somebody that's operating a 403b today to to really help them grow and improve yep well number one um just let me talk about today what they have to do today and then i'm going to get back to well let's look at the long run look at a 403b solution so right now um there was a deadline and the, the deadline was the end of march for updating your 403b to have a document that was a prototype document that was approved by the department of labor that was extended to the end of june i just want to give you a heads up for any plan sponsors out there so because of COVID, it was extended to the end of June, but just check your plan to make sure that the document um, is updated for the new regs. Very, very important. So that's number one, keep you in compliance, right? Or else exactly. you're in trouble with your plan. That's number right. Two, number two is if we look at a retirement plan, what is the best way to run a retirement plan in the document provisions? And for a lot of plan sponsors of 403Bs, 
their providers that they have teamed up with aren't necessarily partners. And I'm not here to talk bad about any provider whatsoever. But they may have been set up many, many years ago, like 20 years ago when your organization first started. And times have changed over those 20 years. Your employee population have changed over those 20 years. And really looking at your plan document and seeing that the provisions that are written in that document are exactly the way that you're operating the plan. Generally speaking, when the, the IRS and the Department of Labor looks at retirement plans, that's the first thing they look at. And they find that there's a lot of times where the plan, the way the document's written, does not match at all how the plan is managed. So what we tell a lot of plan sponsors is take a plan document and sit down. And I know it looks like something a lawyer would have created. It's not easy, but talk to your provider about just spreadsheeting the actual plan document. Taking a look at the document, putting it on a spreadsheet so you can actually understand it. Like what are the eligibility requirements? What is the match? What are the contribution sources? Is there provisions that are in there that we need to know about? And then match that to your payroll. Say, make sure that W-2 compensation doesn't exclude bonuses and overtime. Or if they do, are you doing the testing for that? So I don't want to get too deep here, Brian. But all I want to do is talk about really making sure that the plan, the document, the way it's written is the way it's been managed. Because that is very, very important. Um, you know, we see a lot of plan sponsors that come to us and say, hey, we got this document. We've been managing the plan for the last 20 years this way. We've never done it any other way. I'm like, oh, that's great. But problem is the document does not manage what your payroll says. And then we have to go back and do a voluntary correction with the Department of Labor. And it's not easy. It's not smooth to do that. The Department of Labor does not make it easy at all. So we're trying to avoid that situation, start fresh, and really make sure that everyone understands what's going on in the plan. The other thing is you may have vendors or providers, investment providers, at multiple different providers. What do I mean by that? What I mean is over the years, those 20 years, let's just say, you selected a number of different providers. I won't mention the names, but that you end up with four different payroll submissions for the retirement plan to four different organizations. It's extremely frustrating. So for a new human resources benefits manager, CFO or CEO, that's working with an organization, their first day they're like, why are we sending contributions for five different companies? So these days they're aggregators. What that means is you can bring all those plans, let's just say, or all those investment companies into one. So we bring it to one, so therefore going forward, one payroll that goes to one provider, and then they invest in all different fund managers, like the Fidelities, the Vanguards, the T-Rows, all your favorites, the Tias, et cetera. So that is very important just for reasons of insanity, not driving you insane working with the plan, but also for the participant understanding what they're getting. So when you get a statement, it's not from five different providers all coming in the door at different times and you've no idea what's going on in your plan. So I think that's very, very unique to four to three Bs and very, very important is to make sure that there's clarity both for the plan sponsor 
and a participant what's exactly in my plan. So hopefully that answers your question, Brian, with regards to what's top of mind with regards to 4.3B uh, plan sponsors. No, I'm, uh, you hit you hit some of the biggest points that uh, I know we, we, we talk about so often. And I think it's because, I mean, we understand, you know, the, the 401k part of the marketplace has traditionally always been operated with this plan document dynamic and interplay, whereas that was not always historically the case on the 403B side. So that's why, you know, these types of conversations, if you have a 401k, are very different because they're more rudimentary and they're more understood because there wasn't ever a situation where you wouldn't have had that. And, and certainly on the 401k side, you, you don't have multiple providers. So you, you're, you know, these are unique situations that, and I'm glad you brought up, I mean, look, whether you have a 401k or 403b, it's always a good thing to make sure that you're just reviewing your plan document on a semi-regular basis, and especially in a 403b, if you haven't done that, you know, in the last three to five years, absolutely, you need to just, just, I love how you described it. I mean, simplify it, go through it, and just make sure everything lines up with the way it should. Yeah, um, Brian, downtown DC, we work with probably, um, I think we worked it out. Uh, there is a non-for-profit organization that we work with in almost every building in downtown DC. And of that, about 70% of them, their document is, um, not to say wrong, not at all, just the way it's written is different from how they submit payroll. So not to say everyone is wrong, it's just there was no real guidance in the past. Prior to 2009, 403Bs didn't really have to have a document. They had a like, very short form document and then a one-page 5500, which is your tax reporting for a 403B. These days, very different. Full document, prototype document, and a full 403B. And if you're a large plan filer, more than 100 participants, eligible participants, you've got to hire an auditor to do an audit as well. So there's a lot of scrutiny regulations in 403Bs that was never needed in the past. No, it's a, yeah, it's such a good point. Um, if you're an association executive um, and, and you're looking for, <clears throat> you, we've already kind of hit a lot of these, you know, analytical points, but let's say you're just trying to navigate your way to making sure that the plan that you've had operating for, let's just say 20, 30, 40 years, is still optimized for your organization. What what suggestion would you have for an association executive that just wants to know how does my plan stand up in the marketplace? Yep. So we have benchmarking uh, reports that come out quite a lot these days. There's um, there's a couple. Uh, the Profit Sharing Council of America has one for four three Bs. And they will let a plan sponsor know based on the market of other 403Bs, and it'll break it down by hospitals, schools, religious organizations, and associations where your plan stands. Now, I will tell you, Washington, D.C. is a very different place than North Dakota. So when we look at income brackets, we look at cost you know, the benefits that you need in Washington, D.C. for an association need to be far greater because you're competing against Northern Virginia GovCon for really good folks. 
So how do you do that? Maybe you add a 457 uh, B plan that allows participants to get a additional bonus from the plan sponsor are to double down on contributions with regards to the 457B, it allows you to put additional contributions in to double your contribution amount, which is a huge benefit, massive benefit for any association. And typically, we'll add a 457B to every 403B or 401K within an association. We feel it's extremely important to take advantage of certain benefits that association members would certainly enjoy uh, the option to have doubling down benefit over 50 years old. So that is a good way of benchmarking and then looking at other ways to, to attract and retain employees, especially in the Washington DC market. It's very difficult in the association area. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And you, you, uh, that was such a great uh, opportunity statement in terms of, uh, you know, something that, completely agree. And we talk with a lot of association leaders and executives, you know, as, as we're optimizing your plan, let's also make sure we have all the avenues available and that you are able to attract and appeal to, you know, some, some really, uh, you know, in, in such a, a rich talent market, you know, and, and the largest areas uh, of association concentrations, usually it's DC, New York, and Chicago. So you got some really top talent markets in all of those areas. And so you're right. It's uh, you got to know who you're competing against for good people. And, and, you know, adding, adding that 457 component can give you a significant edge and correct me if I'm wrong, but usually doing that doesn't really cost you much of anything just to be able to do it and, and build it out and, and make it available. Yeah, no, it's not a substantial cost at all. Um, there are different rules with regards to 457 because it's non ERISA. So um, you, it's outside the qualified box. So you have to be very, very strategic in the design of the beginning and how it's paid out um, over the years. So upon termination, you don't get this big, huge tax bill. So we help with the design features of that, but it is a fabulous way to attract and retain really good executives in the Washington, D.C. area that um, want to work for certain associations. That's awesome. I, I, I don't think we can have a better uh, uh, way to, to wrap up. That's such a great point. Um, so David, how can somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to contact? Sure. So um, the best way either is through LinkedIn, LinkedIn, my name, David Frost, One America Retirement Services, or call me directly on my cell phone. And I'll give you that number. It's 617 610-0286 are david.frost at oneamerica that's o-n-e america.com awesome thanks right, david. Really thank you very much for having me on here today it was really nice of you it's awesome appreciate it thanks for listening to this month's episode of the that's my financial guy podcast we hope you enjoyed yourself if you'd like to get a hold of us you can find us online at thehaneycompany.com or on Twitter at The Haney Company. The information provided in this podcast is not intended as specific tax or legal advice and may not be relied upon for purposes of avoiding any federal tax penalties. The Haney Company, its employees and representatives are not authorized to give tax or legal advice. 
Individuals are encouraged to seek advice from their own tax or legal counsel. Individuals involved in the estate planning process should work with an estate planning team, including their own personal legal or tax counsel. The information provided here does not constitute personal financial advice, but is meant as the conveyance of information for educational purposes only. All investing involves risk, including the risk of loss. Past performance is not indicatory of future returns. Guarantees are backed by the claims-paying ability of the insurer. Brian Haney is a registered representative of Coastal Equities Incorporated and an investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors Incorporated, and securities are offered through Coastal Equities Incorporated, member FINRA SIP.